So we've been uh, looking the last couple of weeks at 1 John, and we're going to be, 1 John, and we're going to be continuing that up till just before Christmas. And uh, 1 John is written so that people could know and be sure of the faith that they have and the life, eternal life, that they have in Christ Jesus. And what's at stake here is something huge. It's not just a bit of information. It's not merely head knowledge. But actually, John wants his hearers to know that they know who they have placed their trust in and the eternal life that they have in Jesus. And that's such an important thing. It's the difference between life and death, between a lost eternity and life abundantly with Jesus Christ. We spoke a bit about the original context to this and that John's original hearers were people that had been attacked in their fellowship. People had come in and tried to divide them and eventually had separated themselves. And these people talked about these great spiritual experiences they had and they claimed to know God, yet they were leading people astray. They lived lives that said they knew God, but they didn't let it affect their behavior. And John writes to the believers that are left there to remind them of their need to stand firm in Jesus, to remind them of the life and light that they know in Jesus Christ, and to remind them of how knowing God changes our hearts. Last week, we saw that knowing God and having fellowship with Him means that we don't hide our sin, but instead we confess our sin. You know, we looked at how, as Christians, we're not called to pretend we're perfect, We're far from perfect, but we are called to be people who walk in the light. And as we walk together in the light of Jesus, then other people see us for who we are, warts and all, for our good and our bad. But that we're people who are committed to dealing with the things that are wrong in our life. And today we're going to look at how knowing God means that we are obedient to Him. Now, I don't know about you, but... I, don't, I didn't ever aspire to be a particularly obedient person. I have to personally say that normally if you push me into doing something, I want to do totally the opposite. Is anybody else wired that way? You know, so, so I grew up on a, uh, a large council estate in South London and uh, full of attitude and actually just thought if there's a rule, it's worth pushing against it. It's worth pushing because rules, what are rules meant to be? Rules are meant to be broken, aren't they? That's the, kind of, um, that's the kind of mentality I had. So becoming a Christian messes with that, but then also marrying a German messes with that because Germans love rules. They cannot get enough of them. When we think that their society is so ordered and perfect, they think what we need is another rule. And so... Um, So I've had to learn what it is to be obedient both to God, I'm tempted to say to the wife as well, but we'll see, (laughs) ask her about that. But actually there is something in life that we as Christians are actually designed to be people who are obedient. We're supposed to have a heart inclination of obedience towards God. This passage speaks about the need if we know God to be obedient to his commands. Knowing God means keeping the commands of God. And I'm sorry if that disappoints you, because sometimes we like to live life our own way. 
Verse 3 and 4 here says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. It's an interesting way of putting it. It's very strong, isn't it? If we know him, we keep his commands. Otherwise, we, uh, if we do not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. That's a really strong piece of scripture, isn't it? It's one of those pieces that leaps out of the page to us. The context here is that they have been reminded to know that they have fellowship with him. To share in the life, the light, and the joy that Jesus gives to them. That because of what Jesus has done, they can know God and experience life in all of its fullness. And that means knowing God personally, knowing God intimately. It's one of the amazing things, the offer that we have in Jesus Christ is to come to know the God who created heaven and earth, to come to know the one who is perfect in every single way. And that's unashamedly based on what Jesus has done. But the invitation isn't just to a theoretical knowledge of God, but an experiential one. And I want to challenge you and I this morning. Do you know God or do we just know about him? Do we genuinely really know who God is or are we just living on second-hand information? Is it information or is it a first-hand experience of knowing who God is through his son Jesus? Because there's a, there's a difference between information and practice, isn't there? I read something just um, yesterday about the University of Southern California. They had a termite problem. And so they tried to deal with the termite problem by, uh, and they realized that they had a stack of leaflets that they had printed, which they could then show everybody how to, to, to deal with termite stuff in the building. So they went into the storeroom to find the leaflets, only to find that the leaflets had been eaten by termites. They had the right information, but nobody had put it into practice. And I think sometimes our Christian lives can be a bit like that. Our heads are so full of this knowledge about God, but we don't often let it change our day to day. There is a difference between information and revelation. Revelation is what we understand and experience in our heart as the Holy Spirit illuminates the truth of the Bible to us and shows us who Jesus really is. And if we know God, then we will love him. And if you've ever heard that phrase, to know someone is to love them. Well, to know God is to love him. And to love God is actually about obedience. How do we know God? Simply through what Jesus has done. If you hear nothing else today, know that the only way that you and I can come to have an understanding of who God is, is simply through the completed works of Jesus. It's not through trying to be good. It's not through trying to do what's right. It's not through trying harder. It's not through just going to church. The only way to truly know God is through the completed work of Jesus, through trusting in what Jesus has already done. 
nor information, but revelation, which God, through His Spirit, shows us in our hearts. You see, knowing God is not merely intellectual. John isn't saying to them, you can know God just in philosophy. Yes, he wants them to have the information and the knowledge and the theology. But he wants them to know God and to be sure of the life that they have in their hearts. Do you know, I have met some people who have no education at all. Who, people who, who would struggle to be able to, uh, to read a few verses of the Bible, yet have a deep knowledge of God. Because it's not about how much we know, but it's about the one we know. And that is knowing God through his son, Jesus. And if we know God, it will lead to us being obedient. And sometimes as Christians, we, we miss out on that. We think that knowing God is about our theology. We think that knowing God is about our service in church. And you know, those things are important. But knowing God at its heart will lead to an obedience to his commandments. This passage is clear. We have come to know him if we keep his commands. We have to come toward God with a basic take of obedience. And sometimes that really challenges our heart because we want to live life our way. If we look in Jeremiah 31, at the heart, verses 33 and 34, at the heart of the covenant that God wants to promise his people is that he will put his laws on their hearts. As the old covenant is compared to the new, there's this sense of the law of God being placed, not just in outward action, but on our hearts. What's the difference? The difference is an inclination to obedience. It's a willingness. It's from the inside that knows God and wants to be obedient. You see, not, as we love someone, then we want to be faithful to them, don't we? As we know someone more and as we love them, faithfulness, trust comes from that. This passage says that if we say that we know God at heart, but are disobedient in our lifestyle then actually we're a liar. And John is really, John is an amazing book, because there are one John, because what it does is John speaks great truths and he speaks them lovingly. So you, feel, you see these expressions, dearly beloved or precious children. and You get this lovely sense and John was an older man. He'd known and seen Jesus and had been through lots and been persecuted and suffered for the name of Jesus. And he just had this inclination and instinct to love. And it was said of John as he got older, they'd basically just wheel him out into church. And he'd just get up and say, little children love one another. And love was the message that was, that was on his heart. But it wasn't just a sentimental love. It was love that cared enough to say the tough things. And he warns those he, who hear him of deceiving themselves, thinking that everything's fine, but really their hearts are far from God. There's a few things I want to say about this because it's really important. And we can read something like this and it's easy to think, oh no, I do things wrong, I must be a liar, I don't know God at all. And I really want to encourage you, if that's your first inclination in here, know that this is not a call 
to a perfection that is unobtainable. Know that we approach this in the light of knowing God. There's a reason, as we read 1 John, that John is clear about dealing with sin, about not covering it, but then he's also clear about the reality of sin. So to experience and do wrong is common to all and common to believers. So John is not writing to them saying, if you ever do anything wrong, that's it. Tough, you missed it. And for some of us, we really need to hear, even if you think that you've gone too far, there is grace and there is a way back. I meet so many people who, who in one sense, you find out if you're talking to them, there's an antagonism to Christianity. And when you scratch beneath the surface, you find that at one point they were following God and something happened and they thought, I can never go back. And friends, I want to say to you, there is grace. There is forgiveness. There is a way back. And so please don't just, if, you, if you're sitting here thinking, oh, no, my life is not perfect. Well, welcome to the club. We stand before God simply on the basis of God's grace towards us. Secondly, sanctification is a process. It's a process. We don't suddenly get zapped by God and become perfectly holy in our actions for all time and forever. But actually, sanctification, being made more like Jesus, is a process. It's day by day being transformed, being made different, and it's a walk of grace. So it's really important that when it comes to this, we understand that actually this is about our direction of travel. Similarly, it's also understand that we don't get to pick and choose obedience. If I'm going to do obedience at heart, I want to do selective obedience. You know, selective obedience works, doesn't it? It means that I obey the bits I like and I disregard those bits I don't like. You see, in one sense, that's what works for us, doesn't it? It's a very pragmatic way. So, well, I'll try and be obedient to God. But actually, when we come that's with that sense of selective obedience, ultimately, we're trusting in ourselves because we make ourselves the arbiters of right or wrong, what we will or will not be obedient to. So it's not about being perfect completely, but it's about the heart direction of travel. As you look at your life, is there some indication of a changed life? I think most of us would be encouraged if we look back on the story of our life, as far as we seem from, from where we want to be, maybe in our walk with God, but to look back and to see Actually, God has done something. God has changed me. God is doing something. And I want to encourage you, sometimes we can miss out on that in our journey, which feels like step by step by step, maybe a knockback, setback. But actually, it's only sometimes when we stop and look behind us, we can see the work of God through his Holy Spirit sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus. What John is writing to, what he is confronting, is this teaching that these people were being confronted with, which was that somehow you could know God, you could have these great spiritual experiences, and it would make no discernible change in the way somebody lived their life. It was a confession of Christ with the lips, but from an unrepentant heart. 
It's a, a form of Christianity that says, I am trusting in Jesus, but there's no discernible moral change. There's no sign of obedience. And that's what John is confronting, and that's what we should really be wary of. You know, I love the fact that when you read the writings of John, he's an older man who had literally seen and touched Jesus. At the Last Supper, he'd leaned in onto Jesus' chest. The guy was the disciple, refers to himself as the guy, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That closeness to Christ. And then as he grew older and suffered much for him, to increase in his love for God and his love for others. That's, there's a beautiful thing about that. And I guess he'd seen it all and done it all. And he just reminds them in a fatherly way of the danger of confessing Christ but having an unchanged heart. In our time, in our age, in, in our generation, we really have to make sure that we don't fall under that, that we don't confess Christ with our lips, but the fruit of our life looks something very different. The basis of our salvation is faith. It's about God's grace. But the evidence is obedience. The evidence of our life, the evidence of Christ in us, is that we are obedient to him. Even this term, disciple, it's an apprentice. It's one who is being schooled by the master. And Jesus is our master. And I really want to challenge us, are we being obedient to God? You know, sometimes we can say that we feel that we struggle with the certainty of our faith. And you know, if we're not being obedient, there's a reason. Because God doesn't want you to be comfortable with disobedience. God in his grace makes us sometimes uncomfortable with disobedience. If you feel convicted of sin, that's not condemnation, that's grace being worked out in your life. It's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. Titus talks about the, the grace of God has appeared to us, teaching us to say no to ungodliness. And so sometimes God makes us uncomfortable with our disobedience because of his grace. And if you feel convicted over things in your life, and if there are things during this talk that you feel stir in your heart, I want to encourage you, decide to put those things right. This is not about 100% faithful perfection, but it's about an inclination. Is our heart towards God one of obedience? Secondly, obedience demonstrates our love for God. Verse 5 says, But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in, in him must live as Jesus did. Again, John's writing to confront this Gnostic experience. People talking about these great spiritual experiences with no discernible fruit of God in their life. And John wrote to these people who, in some senses, looked down on ordinary believers because they had reached this high mystical plane. And John confronts that sense of experience over faithfulness. If anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. You know, when we 
choose obedience to God, we display our love for him. It's interesting, isn't it? Because if I ask you, how do you know you love God? Maybe obedience isn't the answer that comes straight away. Maybe obedience isn't the thing that we would think about. Maybe it would feel something more emotional. I got the gushy feeling that I love God. In our, and feelings are great. They're part of something, aren't they? In our, if I asked you, how do you know you love your spouse? Or how do you know your spouse loves you? Would it only be about sentiment? Or would you be able to, you would probably most likely talk about how that love is expressed in actions. Because a love that's only sentimental or verbal actually means very little. But a love that is borne out by choices and actions means a lot. It's a beautiful thing to see love mature in people as they get older and see them consistently making choices to put somebody else first. We get to know and experience the love of God. It's not something that we initiate. Firstly, we receive God's love. We understand it. We have a revelation of it in our heart. It's demonstrated, love demonstrated, not just that God so loved the world that he had a nice gushy thought, but God so loved the world that he gave. Christ loved the Father, and so he was obedient to him, obedient even to death on a cross. Love expressed toward God in experience. Jesus is our example. But as we, as, we, uh, as we know and embrace the love of God, it changes us. You know, that's why we can't just decide to be obedient in and of ourselves to God without knowing Jesus. It's not a human thing. It begins with knowing and understanding the love of God. But that love transforms. That love changes. You know, I, I, um, I once saw in South Africa, I was uh, in a church there, and uh, there was this Indian couple in the church there, and they had uh, adopted a Zulu child. And I said to them, how did you end up adopting this boy? And they said, well, we didn't intend to. We were visiting this orphanage and we walked by and this kid just walked up to us and put his arms out like that as if to say, hold me. And they said, we picked him up and we've never put him down since. And years later, that boy's life was being transformed. Why? Because love is transformative. And as we know and experience and understand and comprehend the love of God, yes, with our heart, yes, with our head, yes, with our emotion, yes, with truth displayed in Jesus, it changes us. And love that changes and transforms calls us to be obedient to God. And as we do so, we express love to Him. 1 John 5, 3 emphasizes that. He says, this is love for God to keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. Knowing experiencing the love of God will lead us to love God back through our obedience. John 14, 23 says, uh, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me 
will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does love and not love me will not obey my teaching. You know, the Bible is really quite clear in this sense that love for God is expressed through our obedience. The point here is that if we live in him, we live as Jesus did. This idea of living in God isn't just feeling, it's positional partly. We are in Christ Jesus. And so we know and experience God's love. And there's a point of, of, of obedience that comes from being in Christ. But there's an ongoing dimension to it. Not just a prayer once prayed. And unfortunately, so much of the church, we, we reduce following Jesus or making Jesus our Lord and Savior to a decision we made once in a meeting. Whereas Jesus, and I believe those decisions are important, but Jesus called his disciples to come take up their cross and follow after him. And being in Christ is to continually make decisions towards obedience to God. As we know him, as we walk in his light, we want to do what's right. We have an inclination and an instinct towards each other. We're drawn to each other as church. I want us to see, though, that this whole idea of living as Jesus did. You know, verse 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Obedience and living a Jesus-shaped and Jesus-centered life is not just a list of the rules we keep. And it's really important because sometimes we can think of obedience, meaning I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this. And we just almost have our obedience checklist. But to live a Jesus-shaped life, actually, I believe, is not just a um, defensive, reactionary, batten down the hatches, kind of let's just not do what's wrong kind of obedience. But rather, it's a joyful, embracing, Christ-centered God-focused journey of loving others in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not about words alone, but it says, because I know God, I want to live life as Jesus wants me to live life. It's a radical, proactive, Jesus-focused lifestyle. If we look at how Jesus lived his life, you know, we're aware of his, of his manifesto to set free the captives, to proclaim good news to the poor, to the, see those who were, to bind up the brokenhearted, those who without sight being able to see. Being obedient to God isn't just a list of rules of things I don't do. But it says that because he has transformed me, because he loves me, I'm going to love others with a passion and a grace. I want to serve the lost and the broken. I want to be his hands and feet extended. I want to invite the stranger and the alien into my home. I want to take care of the widow and the orphan. I'm not going to exploit the poor. It means that we're changed with an inclination to live like Jesus lives. But also it means that we don't try to, to, to kind of selectively obey what God wants from us. It says that we, because we know that we love him by obedience, we don't try to change the Bible to get rid of the difficult bits. 
Because almost that puts us as a moral arbiter over God. Because it means that we judge God's morality. And we say, God, maybe you've got this wrong. You know, our heart as people, our problem is rebellion, isn't it? We want to rebel against God. And actually, in choosing to be obedient towards God, we live as Jesus did. If we believe in him, we belong to him, but ultimately we will behave like him. Not keeping a list of rules, but rather in communion with God, filled with the Holy Spirit and changed. So why do we struggle to obey God? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Why do we struggle to obey God? Because in one sense, it's true. We know what we should do, but we have this struggle. And firstly, I think our minds need renewing. Our minds often need renewing. We need to be confronted by truth in our hearts. And that means filling our truth, filling filling our minds with the truth of God. Allowing God to shape our mindset. We want to be... See change in our lives. We can't just start with the action. I think we need to embrace a new way of thinking, a Christ-centered way of thinking. I guess, secondly, the hardness of our hearts. There is something inside of us, even when we're born again, that wants to do our own thing. You know, we have the example in Paul as he wrestles with doing what he doesn't want to do. And that's common to all of us, isn't it? You know, sometimes we end up doing what's wrong even when we're trying to do right, let alone when we're deliberately going after the wrong thing. And we need to say, God, give me a softened heart. God, give me the ability. That doesn't excuse us of the need to choose and to act, but it realizes that there's things that God needs to do in our hearts. I think thirdly is the perception that we're not truly sure that God's way is the right way. Sometimes we're not obedient because we're not confident that we can trust God with our lives. There's a story told about Freiburg Cathedral. And they had this fantastic organ there. And the keeper of the cathedral met this man one day and showed him round and, and boasted about the marvelous nature of their organ. And towards the end of looking round, this man said, Can I please play the organ? And this, this guy was indignant. Who are you to touch this great thing? But eventually, he let him do so. It turned out the man he was with was Mendelssohn. This guy was worried of, about whether he could entrust what was precious to him with this guy. But this guy was a master a master composer. This guy knew what he was doing. And sometimes we can be like that. We're the caretaker of our lives. And we're worried if God can be trusted with what's in our hearts. I want to encourage you, don't hold back. If there are areas of disobedience in our life, let's bring them into the light, knowing that in obedience we find and discover a radical Life with Jesus. Why do we struggle with obedience? Because life is messy and we're not perfect. And that's okay. 
I love this thing of John calling them to a higher way of living, confronting them about sin, but also saying, and if we sin, this is how we deal with it. He's not excusing sin, but he's pointing to a means of grace in Jesus Christ. And then for some of us, it may be that we're trying to be Christians without ever truly believing and making Jesus our Lord. And for some of us, that may well be the case. We're trying to live a Christian life, but have never made Jesus Lord. If Jesus is not Lord, then we'll struggle always. We'll never have that joyful obedience. How do we know that we love God because of our obedience? But loving and obeying God is linked to loving others. It's different. It's not just about what happens between me and God. Verse 7, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you heard. I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister, he is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in their light. John calls them dear friends. The stuff that he's saying may be hard, it may be difficult, it may be challenging, but he loves them enough to tell them the difficult thing. And that is if we say we love God or even that we're obedient to him, but we're hard-hearted towards people, then we walk in darkness. Friends, as Christians, we should be known by our love for others not our sentimentality but our love our love that reaches out our love that serves our love that prefers one another a love that things of others higher than ourselves a love that gives and shares I love this fact that John it's a, it's a really thing he's I'm not giving you a new command well it is a new command but it's a new old command and he's basically saying, this is the point all along. It was hardwired into the Bible to love God and to love your neighbor. And yet, he says this was most clearly, in the sense of it being a new command, it was expressed by Jesus. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, it's demonstrated, the new aspect of it is demonstrated in Jesus. You know, when Jesus talked about the good Samaritan and he challenges fundamentally, your neighbor is not just the guy that lives next to you. Then your neighbor may be your enemy. Your neighbor may be the person you struggle to love. This is vintage Jesus. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. I believe that's what John had in mind when Jesus said it's a new command. He's expanding the scope. He's saying this is what it really means. Loving Jesus is about obedience. And that, out of that obedience comes a love for one another. How do we know that we're genuine followers of Christ? We want to obey Christ and we want to love our brother and sister. The whole of the Bible resounds with this command to love your neighbor. It's demonstrated in Jesus. I love the fact it says the darkness is passing. The true light 
is already shining. Friends, as John was reminding these people, we as Christians are those who live between the ages. The old has passed. The new has come and is coming. And fully when Christ returns will be realized in all its fullness as it is now. We live between the ages. We are a visible expression of foretaste to the world around us. If we claim to know God, if we claim that God is knowable, then the light of Christ should radiate in his body. You know, it's a bit like solar lighting. You know, they get those little solar things in your garden and the light shines on it. And it doesn't just light up that light, but when it gets dark, that light radiates out. Why? Because it has absorbed that light and it now makes that light clear to others. Friends, that's what the body of Christ is. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we read last week, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us. And what we see here is this radical notion that those who know God walk in his light, but also that light is expressed. How's your light doing? How's your light doing? What does that light look like in your life? What does it look like when it's Sunday lunchtime? Our light might seem bright now, but what does it look like Sunday lunchtime when the kids are screaming? What does it look like Monday morning when your boss is being a muppet? What does it look like when someone is belittling you? And you have to choose how you respond. What does it look like when, because of your authentic Christian life, people are slandering you? What does it look like when you're hurt or disappointed by your brother or sister? Do we allow the light of Jesus to flow out of us? You see, at its heart, John in these two chapters gives us two pictures. One of the counterfeit follower of Christ. One of the genuine follower of Christ. That first picture is one who claims to have fellowship with God but doesn't deal with their sin, who distances themselves from meaningful Christian fellowship. They don't need others around them. They say they know God, but they don't keep his commands. They don't live a Jesus lifestyle. They don't know the love of God. They don't love him and genuinely love others. They walk in darkness and they hate their brother and sister. And it's contrasted with the genuine follower of Jesus who has fellowship with God and recognizes their own sin with a willingness to confess. They open their lives to the scrutiny of others. They walk in the light up close and personal. They keep God's commands even when it's tough because they love him. Knowing that they will fail but knowing that there is grace and forgiveness. They live like Jesus. They walk in the light. And they are patient and kind and loving with their brother and sister. Brothers and sisters, we're on a journey. But it's a journey with a clear destination. It's lit up and illuminated by the light of Jesus. It comes from knowing God the Father through his son Jesus. It is a path that is tough, but it is bathed in clear light. Together, somewhat Imperfectly, yet distinctly, we are called to radiate the life and light of Jesus to those around us. 
It's not a private matter, but it's walking together in him. I want to encourage you this week, display a love for God that is a response to what Jesus has done. Love God through your obedience and love your brother and sister no matter how hard it gets. God bless you.